Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Hi, I'm Juliana Stanley, a practice management consultant with the Texas Medical Association. I managed a successful specialty practice, but even though I had years of practical experience as well as a college degree, I still found gaps in my knowledge when it came to measuring practice performance. It was challenging to locate an affordable resource for the education I was seeking. It was time to find practical help and overcome what I didn't know. I made it my mission to learn how to measure practice success. It is my hope that this podcast will provide you with the knowledge you need to begin evaluating your practice using real data and eliminate guesswork. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Today, I am pleased to present the first of TMA's podcast series, Measures for Success. I'm here today with Maggie, new manager of a general surgery practice, and we're going to talk about key performance indicators, or KPIs, that she can use to evaluate the practice revenue cycle and processes. Maggie, welcome. Thanks, Juliana. I'm so excited to get you one-on-one and take advantage of all of your expertise. So my first ask of many is going to be an overview of the revenue cycle. It's such a broad topic, but I've seen practices that make it look effortless and easy and successful, and I want us to get there. And you will. You will. It is a broad topic, and it can be quite complex. When I refer to the revenue cycle, I mean all of the administrative events that happen from the time the patient first schedules services with your practice through the time that that service is paid in full. That includes obtaining insurance information, verifying the patient's eligibility, getting referrals from other doctors, obtaining prior authorizations, and collecting copayments. And that's all before the patient even sees the physician. After the service is rendered, the claim is submitted to insurance and we wait. And sometimes we wait some more. Hopefully that claim is paid within 30 days, but we often have to contact insurance carriers looking for that payment. And sometimes we file appeals on denied claims. Finally, we have to work accounts receivable and collect remaining patient balances. And all of that is part of the revenue cycle. And why my head hurts just thinking about it. (laughs) There's not enough Tylenol some days. (laughs) No, Um, but it does bring up such a great point that our physicians see several patients a day. They work really hard and understandably become frustrated by the amount of time and resources it takes to make these steps happen. So I'm aware of the decline in revenue, delays in the cash flow, and generally lower profits that are a never-ending problem. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to identify what's going on and take steps to improve our performance? Well, it's a hard question, but um, there's lots you can do. To measure success within the revenue cycle, first you need to be aware of data, understand where it comes from, and be able to interpret its meaning. 
The problem is we look at reports, but we don't necessarily know what they're telling us. Very true. I managed a solo practice for several years. The doctor and I met every Monday after work, which was a crazy time for a meeting, but that's when we did it. (laughs) And I was presenting him with the monthly performance reports. I was telling him all about how the numbers looked so great. They looked better than last year. We're doing so well at collecting payments, I said. The AR looks great, I said. The net collection percentage was over 94% for the first time in two years, and I was feeling really good about these numbers. Then he asked me that question. Where do these numbers come from? You're showing me percentages and telling me things look really good, but what do I have to compare them to? How do I know that these numbers are actually representative of what's going on in my practice. It was that moment that I realized I really had no idea. Yeah, who would? Yeah, it it was tough. My face turned red, my palms got all sweaty, and I really didn't understand where the numbers came from. So I said something super smart, like, oh, I don't know, the computer? (laughs) Ha ha ha. Yeah. Um, One thing that makes me really uncomfortable is not even knowing where to find the answer to a question. So that's when I made it my mission to learn where the information came from and how it could be used. Well, and now you're an expert in your field, so it really (laughs) says a lot about that. So amazing. Um, And I get you all to myself right now, which is even better. (laughs) But on a more serious note, I've had similar experiences and appreciate your honesty because it's, it's hard when you don't know. But my next ask is you've done all the hard work. So where do I get meaningful data? Like, what data is the most important? Well, first of all, your monthly financial reports provide you with everything you need to calculate your key measures, commonly referred to as key performance indicators or KPIs. We use KPIs to determine your practice's past and current levels of performance. You can compare your practice to industry benchmarks and to see how you're doing in relation to other practices of similar size and scope. Today's practice management systems have everything you need to generate meaningful reports for use in evaluating your practice. You probably already review certain reports on a regular basis. Um, Using the basic reports from your practice management system, you'll be able to calculate your KPIs on your own. I don't know if I feel better or worse knowing I have everything I need and haven't been using it properly. (laughs) But um, how do I identify the KPIs that are important? Well, don't feel bad about it. We have a a saying here in our office, you don't know what you don't know. So this, this is your opportunity to learn all that stuff. When I don't know something, I start with the basics and build up from there. Even those of us who know the field well can use a refresher now and then, right? Oh, yeah. So if you don't understand anything else about your practice financials, you need to know this. There's one report that probably every practice looks at, but it might not get the amount of attention it really deserves. The Aged Accounts Receivable Report categorizes accounts with outstanding balances, usually as current 31 to 60 days, 61 to 90 days, and greater than 90 days from the date of service. Obviously, we want our accounts to be paid in full before they get too old, because the older they get, the harder they are to collect. Our aged AR reports can help us manage those accounts, so we want to make sure we work accounts early. Okay, so is there a magic number to look for in those categories? One quick benchmark is to have less than 10% of outstanding accounts aged over 90 days. Anything higher than that indicates that you have an opportunity for improvement. Of course, that number may vary depending on specialty, but that's about the norm. Collecting your fees or your patient responsibility amounts at the time of service or on the first statement does two things. One, it greatly increases the chances of your getting paid. 
and two, it improves cash flow. Well, that makes complete sense, and it really does sound manageable. It really is. Um, as you work accounts regularly, you'll find it takes less time and you get better results. That same aged AR report will provide you with an estimate of how long it takes to collect one day's worth of adjusted charges. So when you look to calculate days in AR, you're going to divide the total accounts receivable by your average daily charges. Okay, so total accounts receivable divided by average daily charges. You're looking for a quick turnaround time, so you want this to be less than 30 days. If it's longer than that, it could be an indication of problems with an insurance payer, um, with getting claims filed in a timely manner, uh, lack of prior authorization, or um, possibly an indication that there's some other problem you need to research. Okay, so accounts receivable by average daily charges. Right. Um, You wanna look at your own charges and collections and compare them year over year and month over month to identify trends. Your gross collections percentage is the percentage of total charges actually collected. It's not a great number to use in comparison to other practices because it's affected by factors like your practice fee schedule and your insurance allowed amounts. This number should be fairly constant though within your own practice. It does help you to see if you have particular months that are slow. You could even use the trends in planning. As an example, you may have slower times during summer vacation or over winter holidays. That might be a good time to schedule things like deep cleaning, building repairs, um, work on cleanup of old accounts, or plan physician and staff vacations. That's a great tip. And I mean, I never thought about using these reports as anything other than just financials. And it's a relief to know that they're right in front of me, even though they've been right in front of me. So I've noticed a trend in our practice where business drops off at the beginning of the year, like surgeries and procedures, but follow-up visits go up. Why is that? So it depends on your specialty, but deductibles and renewing benefit periods, as well as additional monies added to flex spending accounts and services offered are all involved. Follow-up visits are just a normal trend that just gets busier here and there, but um, services have a lot to do with it. Allergists, for example, are busiest in the spring when the pollen counts are highest, while surgeons and gastroenterologists tend to be busiest at the end of the year when patients have met their deductibles and want to get procedures done before their deductible starts over at the beginning of the year. Um, Practices that perform school physicals are busiest just before school begins again. So that's why. On a different note, we don't have much time for our monthly financial meeting, so I want to cover the most important information first. What's high priority? Well, financially speaking, your net collection ratio is really the most important thing. It's more useful than the gross collections percentage. When you divide your total collections after refunds by your total charges after adjustments, you hopefully have a number between 95 and 99%. So again, That's total collections, less refunds, and you divide that by your total charges, less adjustments, okay? A lower number will indicate that your money is not coming in as expected, and a higher number is going to be seen when you've done a lot of of cleanup of your old AR. Okay, so a higher number is better. No, not necessarily. Um, If the adjusted collection ratio is high, like over 100%, It could be an indication of greater than usual write-offs. So it could mean that you had a lot of old accounts that you had to work on Mm. and you wound up just writing them off. So it's going to be over 100%. Cleanup of old accounts is necessary from time to time, 
but check to make sure that is the reason for the high percentage too. Okay. Because if it's not, then there's some other problem going on. Good to know. Um, again, use the nut collection percentage for comparison and benchmarking purposes. It's really that ratio that will tell you how effectively your practice is managing your payments and collections. And then there's one more number you want to look at. One more? One more. This is kind of a big one, but it's easy. Um, hopefully your practice management system has a report for this. It's usually called the point of service collection rate. This one, you're shooting for 100%, as the practice should be collecting patient co-payments, deductibles, and co-insurance at the time of service. I know it's hard to ask a patient for money, but setting the expectation of payment at the time of service will improve all of the other ratios we've talked about today. Yeah. And it's helpful for the patient to know what to expect. Exactly. So and, and it's consistent. Yeah. It's a great policy that we'll probably need to improve. Um, Most but, practices do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Juliana, this really has been wonderful and I really do feel more enlightened after our talk. So thank you. But even though I feel confident now, I know that at some point I'm going to forget something. So how do I take you with me? Well, I'll go with you right now if you want. Um, <laughs> but if you need more help, we have resources for you in the TMA Education Center. There's webinars there as well as written publications. And since you work for a TMA member, you can access the majority of information and online resources for free. You know, you're right. I did make an account and it was really easy. I had my name, email, my physician's NPI number. Once I entered all of that, it sent an email to her and she was able to approve me and give me instant access to all the resources. So I need to use them. And I don't have to bother her when I do want to use them. Yep. And it's always there for you. That makes it super easy. So, Maggie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Juliana. Next time we meet, we'll have a more detailed discussion about how you can use KPIs in evaluating your practice and setting goals.